Support for this episode's serious business debate comes from Salesforce. Salesforce helps small businesses like yours discover how to grow faster than ever before. By managing your sales, marketing, and customer service all in one place, your small business can succeed at every step. To see how Salesforce can work for you, go to salesforce.com slash smallbiz. Uh, this is a segment in which we debate some of the most pressing issues related to business, the economy, uh, in, in this presidential year. This week's resolution is resolved. The sharing economy is great for America. Arguing the pro side is Inc.'s San Francisco Bureau Chief Jeff Bercovici. And uh, arguing the con position is the esteemed financial journalist Doug Henwood, founder of Left Business Observer and most recently author of My Turn, a um, not entirely friendly biography of Hillary Clinton. Doug, welcome to Ink Uncensored. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we we flipped a coin before you were even here, Jeff. Oh, come and, on. <laughs> the fix is in. The fix is in. Uh, and, and Doug won, and he uh, is choosing to start the with an opening statement. So take it away, Doug. It's amusing that we're uh, doing this just after the announcement of uh, Saudi Arabia's three and a half billion dollar investment in Uber. It was funny to see uh, some third tier VCs and their fanboys, including a former Obama publicist turned Uber publicist David Pluff on Twitter, celebrating the kingdom as some sort of agent of liberation. This says something about what kind of freedom this sharing economy represents. In a country where women can't drive, it, at least now they can take an Uber. At home, in a country where a lot of people can't make ends meet, they could pick up a few extra bucks driving people around their cars, some of them financed by Uber at a 21% interest rate. I don't mean to pick on Uber. Sharing is bigger than that. People can rent out a spare room to pay the rent or turn themselves into a task rabbit, which sounds rather demeaning, but perhaps not as demeaning as the Indian name for them, e-peons. I'm not a purist. I'm a technophile. I use Uber Airbnb. But we should be clear about what these services represent. They would attempt to monetize the desperation of the American working class and further undermine the living standards while sounding both innovative and generous. Good. Uh, Jeff, your opening statement. I'm in New York right now to tape this podcast. My house in Berkeley is sitting empty. My car is sitting in the driveway, depreciating. My bike is uh, sitting locked up, begging someone to steal it. Why? We don't do things the way that we do them because it's the best way to do them, but because up until a few years ago, we never had the technology to do them in a better way. The truth is that all of us love the sharing economy, whether we think about it or not. If you've checked out books from the library, if you've done an apartment swap with someone, if you use Google Docs to keep your documents in the cloud rather than on your own hard drive, you're using the sharing economy, whether you're thinking about it or not. Uber and Airbnb didn't invent it. They just figured out how to scale it. More and more, society is rejecting individual ownership as incredibly wasteful. It's bad for the environment. It's costly for, co for consumers. And the cost of ho having all of that stuff is spiritually exhausting. Improving utilization can have wonderful effects for society. Uber is making cities like New York and San Francisco and L.A. more livable, more economical. Um, obviously, there are some bad actors. There are some big companies that haven't acted ethically, been willing to pay their taxes uh, or abide by regulations. But the sharing economy is here to stay, and entrepreneurs who figure out a way to make it work for everyone deserve to profit. Um, Doug, let's pick up on that point. Um, these are these are consenting adults doing uh, commerce in a in a slightly different way. Why is the sharing economy, or do you think the sharing economy, is intrinsically more exploitative than, say, everyday capitalism? Well, not intrinsically more. It's certainly not more exploitative than uh, you know a Bangladeshi garment factory. Uh, but it uh, one of the things I object to is the the rhetoric of sharing around it when it's actually all about uh, 
making money, uh, although it's not been very successful at doing so so far, if it weren't for the VCs pumping all that money in. Uh, but, you know, we need to look at the externalities involved, uh, to use the fancy economist word. Uh, Airbnb takes a lot of units off the market uh, and uh, raises rents in a lot of cities. Uh, Uber is destroying the living standards of a lot of uh, what they like to call incumbent cab drivers. Uh, and... Uh, the drivers for Uber themselves are not making a hell of a lot of money, uh, although maybe Travis Kalanick is. But uh, it's uh, you, know, you got to look behind uh, the app and the, the the relationship that between you know the the, the writer and and the app, and look behind uh, at that and see what's happening in urban neighborhoods or to uh, to cab drivers. And what's happening to cab drivers is not so good, and it's, it's helping to drive up rents in urban neighborhoods. Aren't there aspects, just sticking with Uber for a second, aren't there aspects of the incumbent taxi passenger relationship that are bad and that uh, that Uber is successfully disrupting or forcing change onto? Oh, I am no friend of the existing uh, uh, cab structure. The uh, the fleets in New York City, for example, which I know best, the medallions, which you know, now dropping rapidly in value, but the, that whole structure is is a terrible, terribly exploitative, exploitative relationship. And I was really distressed to see the taxi workers union here really not step in and uh, criticize uh, the the medallions. They seem to be protecting the existing system rather than trying to think into, uh, in new ways of how to do it. Uh, the, the existing system, and in a lot of cities, there are just not enough cabs, and uh, Uber is addressing that. So I'm not going to defend the existing system as utopic. Jeff, how do you respond to Doug's charge uh, that, that this is just a, a way of uh, exploiting the desperation of the American working class? Well, first of all, I, I fully agree with Doug's charge that taxi medallions are incredibly exploitative and uh, that New York uh, taxi unions are are a force that needs to be disrupted. Um, as for the the idea that they're exploiting the working class, you know, uh, we just did a story on some on a big data set showing that actually the way that people tend to work on on demand labor platforms uh, is uh, has the effect of replacing income that they're losing through uh, income volatility caused by changes elsewhere in the economy. So so it's not. Um, like I mean, what? Well, uh, obviously, you know, the the economy. Uh, uh, the industrial economy is declining. Um, you know, the the entire workforce is moving over from from traditional models of employment to uh, to sort of a freelance gig economy. That's not a factor. That's not caused by the on demand economy. That's a much bigger, longer term economic trend. What's happening is that people are using people are driving for Uber or Lyft or working as a tax rabbit to replace the income that they would be losing otherwise, but aren't because of the on demand economy. What about the idea that Airbnb takes um, units off the market? Um, that you know, you you live in San Francisco, where housing is really at a premium and, and kind of ridiculously priced at this point. Um, would it be better if Airbnb weren't on the scene? Well. I think, first of all, what, that phenomenon that you're talking about is really a, a question of anti-development laws, uh, foreign buyers who are not residing in the city but buying property as investments. Um, I, I do think that there that there is an effect at the margin of taking units off the market. I think that that can be fully addressed by raising the occupancy tax to make it more expensive and make renting uh, to long-term renters more attractive. Uh, Jeff, driving for Uber and or um, being a task rabbit are terrible jobs. Why are you coming out in favor of them at all? Uh, I, I don't think that they aren't. That's a that's a complete value judgment based on uh, your experience. I, I talked to a guy, uh, my Uber. I always talk to my Uber drivers. I, I talked to a guy who told me he was doing it because his wife uh, had had a terrible accident. He was caring for her. He couldn't keep the job he had before, um, and Uber allowed him to be a full time carer for his wife and drive when he had the opportunity. I think that's a great job. Okay, Jeff, you've got two minutes to cross examine Doug. Doug, are you a customer? 
uh, or a service provider or a labor provider on any of these platforms? Do you uh, do you ride in Ubers? Do you stay in Airbnbs? Oh yeah, I, you know, I have to live in this world. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the purist. I'm not uh, uh, you know a luddite or any of those things. I just uh, we need to think about the politics of this and the policy that's appropriate for them. It's not a matter of individual lifestyle decisions because you know you have, what else are you going to do? I mean, where am I going? It's not easy to get a cab where I live in Brooklyn, and uh, sometimes it's not easy to get a cab when you when I travel. So I'll, I'll use it. I'm not like morally opposed to doing it, but we need to think about what they really are uh, and uh, deconstruct the propaganda around them. So, so as a consumer, you agree with the overwhelming number of consumers in San Francisco who uh, supported Proposition F or the overwhelming number of consumers in New York who, uh, who participated in the grassroots campaigns to keep Uber here? Well, grassroots, that was organized by, uh, by Uber, I think. So that was pretty much an AstroTurf campaign. But uh, – and we need it's one thing to look at it from the perspective of a, of a consumer, but we also have to think about the people who are doing the work behind it. It's it's miserable. I interviewed when I wrote a piece for the Nation a couple of years ago about this stuff. I interviewed a bunch of Uber drivers who are barely getting by. The turnover rate is enormously high, and uh, I, I talked to one guy who couldn't tell me whether his income was gross or net of expenses. I think there are a lot of naives who don't really know what they're into, and you know they la- the turnover is enormous uh, because how- they find out exactly what they are into after a few weeks on the job. Uh, what about a company like? G- Juno, uh, which is an Uber competitor that set aside 50% of its equity for drivers. I don't know about Juno, and that sounds like a good idea, but uh, you know, the equity uh, could also be a pipe dream. You've already said that you are, uh, you're uncomfortable with the degree to which opposition to sharing economy companies has been funded by tax unions, hotel associations, uh, NIMBY, uh, own, uh, household associations. Well, no, I said uh, not done. Taxi unions are not funding anything. The, the unions uh, – I'm not talking about the unions. I'm talking about fleet owners. I'm talking about the unions of the drivers who are uh, not really mounting a very effective uh, campaign against Uber. I tried to get comments out of them when I was writing my nation piece. They didn't even return my phone calls. So I think uh, they need to do a better job than that of representing the interests of the driver. Uh, and you know, on political questions, very often unions just adopt the line of their employers. That's an unfortunate truth. Uh, Doug, you've now got two minutes to cross-examine Jeff. When you uh, do, when you press the button on, a, on one of these sharing apps, do you ever think of uh, who's providing the labor on the other side? I think of it every time. I, I talk to my drivers all the time. I've written multiple articles quoting drivers. I, I just wrote one the other day. I talk to drivers all the time. And what do these drivers tell you about, say, their income? Uh, they tell me that they are very actively – uh, working out the math of which platform it makes sense to drive for at which time. A lot of the time they are uh, unhappy with a recent decision that Uber has made uh, or that Lyft has made, but they they also know that they have options. Well, that sounds like the old choice in Utah between being shot and being hanged. I mean, that's, uh, you know, if, if you got 15 cents versus 17 cents, you know, that's, that's you know, you choose the 17 cents, but, you know, both options are kind of cheap. Sure, but it's like the shot option between getting shot and having the flexibility to take care of your wife who just suffered a terrible accident. I mean, I think that that's a real meaningful choice. Well, okay, but no, that, that also that's a sign of the desperation of the American working class. I started talking about. They have no income support if their wife has an accident. The wife has no income support because of her accident. Uh, you do whatever is necessary to get by, but you know, it's, I, you know, it's like eating rats in a siege. It's like, I don't that's dis- not, a, not a very enjoyable option. I don't disagree with that. But the desperation of the working class is caused by things like the decline of the manufacturing sector, uh, much bigger economic forces than U- Uber. I, I don't question that they are benefiting from uh, from some unfortunate changes in the economy. However, they are not the cause of those changes, and legislating them out of existence is not the solution to those changes. No, I wouldn't say legislating them out of existence, but you know, regulating them so they pay a decent wage to uh, the drivers is a nice proposition. But um, 
the manufacturing has been in decline a long time. You know, what about like strategies to raise uh, serv- uh, wages in the service sector it's th- that, 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 that instead of you know, turning to these rather uh, niche markets? I would say it's not incompatible. I think I think that the future is uh, better regulated, more transparent sharing economy companies. And oh, I have two seconds left, so I'll, <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, all right, and uh, now we'll take closing statements. And based on the coin flip, Doug, you close first. As I said a couple of times, I'm not really opposed to the idea of the sharing economy. I just want to make sure it's done fairly and well and the externalities are, are, are acknowledged and uh, taken um, into consideration and uh, you know, kept under um, pretty tight control. Uh, but you know, it's also not clear that a lot of these uh, models are sustainable without the constant infusion of VC money. Uh, Uber's burn right is in a class by itself, but uh, we still have some ridiculous valuations for companies that have no imminent prospect of making a dime. It is an interesting experiment uh, and I'd like to see something perhaps uh, done with this, maybe after some of these things crash and burn, say a, a driver-owned cooperative rather than a Travis-owned um, ride-hailing service uh, that doesn't rely on uh, constant pay-cutting and contempt uh, for miserably compensated incumbents, as they like to call people who uh, work 12 hours a day for minimum wage. I'm not a fan of the fleet owners or the present system, but replacing it with a system where the owners are uh, better compensated and drivers, uh, where the owners are better compensated than they are now and the drivers are paid even less than they are now isn't my idea of a good trade. Okay, Jeff, you've got the last word. There are a lot of valid criticisms to be made of the big players in the sharing economy. You heard some of them from Doug just now. Uh, I've written some of them myself. But those criticisms always focus on the how, not on the what. That we're having this discussion at all in the first place is because there's such a powerful core proposition here. When you remove the friction from markets, they work better. People get more value from their cars, from their houses, from their time. The sharing economy is inevitable because the people who are participating in it love it. Yes, we absolutely need more regulations and more transparency. Yes, we absolutely need more options like publicly funded options, employee-owned options. But ultimately, the sharing economy companies are platforms that connect people who have something with people who want something. If these companies aren't working for the people on either side of that equation, they're not going to exist anymore. Okay. Uh, Well, that wraps it up. Thank you for uh, joining us, Doug Henwood. Thanks for having me. And Jeff Bercovici. Excellent job, you guys. Uh, I should close by saying that the uh, the opinions discussed here are not necessarily those of Inc. or Salesforce or, frankly, even the people who made the arguments. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate disclaimer. Uh, listeners, if you think one side or the other side won the debate, send us an email to uncensored at inc.com and uh, we'll tally up the vote uh, in the next episode. One thing every small business can agree on is that growth is a top priority. The best way to help your small business grow is with Salesforce, the world's number one CRM company. Visit salesforce.com slash small biz to put Salesforce to work for you.